Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the episode one of the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast. I am Joe Mason, your host, as always, pleased to be joined by my co-host, Caitlin Christofferson of Grand Slam Social and the founder of Amplify Horse Racing, Anise Montplaisir. Today's episode will consist of an introduction to Amplify, introducing ourselves to you, why Thoroughbreds turn one year older after the first of the year, and the excitement that is the road to the Kentucky Derby. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Ladies, it is an honor and a privilege to be joining you. Tell us about yourselves. Thank you so much, Joe, for having us on. This is Anise here. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. This is really exciting. And so I guess just to, you know, introduce myself and then dive into the story of Amplify. My name is Anise Montpleasure and I'm going to correct you there. I'm the co-founder of Amplify Horse Racing because this has all been a team effort from the very beginning. And this is an initiative that launched in 2019 to promote and amplify education and experiences and job pathways in the thoroughbred industry. And so along with education, we seek to generate positivity and make thoroughbred racing more accessible to people of all ages and backgrounds, organizations, you know, different initiatives, riding disciplines to be involved because this is a a sport for everyone and it should be as accessible as possible. So just diving a bit into that background, um, my co-founder Madison and I both came from regions that were pretty far from any direct exposure to thoroughbred racing or breeding. We both learned about racing on TV. Uh, Madison actually fell in love with Smarty Jones and I fell in love with Ruffian. Somebody had recommended that I watch the movie Ruffian and uh, I just became very passionate about learning about the industry and the people and the enthusiasm and excitement. And we both kind of embarked on these roundabout pathways to get involved and moving across the country for different internships. And that's kind of very reflective of how a lot of people end up getting involved in the industry. You're kind of like, wow, horse racing, this is really cool. How do I do this? And then when you Google resources, you realize that there's this just, you know, a multitude of different organizations and resources out there, but it can all be sort of convoluted and confusing. So Amplify started as an educational tool where someone can say, what is step one? Amplify Horse Racing. I can go to this website, amplifyhorseracing.org. I can learn what is thoroughbred racing? What are some of the first steps to get involved? And now you have this amazing new educational tool like the Amplify podcast to learn from the very beginning and work your way through the year with us about, you know, how to start watching and following races and some of the jargon and intricacies that uh, might be sort of confusing starting out. So do you feel like I did I miss anything there, Joe? That's a long explanation, but it's there's a lot of stuff going on. Well, I must say Amplify has done an amazing job thus far, and it's going to do an even better job with the podcast. But one thing I'd like to mention that you did miss, Anise, I'm sorry to uh, to point that out, is this podcast is for everybody. 
anybody from your your toddler who's watching Barney the Dinosaur and beyond. <laughs> anybody, anybody could listen to this. Am I right about that, Denise? Yes, that is totally true. And that's one of the, the missions of Amplify in general is that we want to be accessible to all ages and backgrounds. And we want everyone listening to know that this is a family-friendly podcast that is really, you know, bringing together three horse lovers and even more than that as we have other guests that come on because the horse is the central, you know, the focal point of all of this. And that, you know, whether you're a parent and you have kiddos or, you know, teenagers, college students, people who are looking for a career, this podcast will be uh, great for anyone to tune into. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Now let's throw to our our marketing expert, Caitlin Christofferson. (laughs) Tell us about you, Caitlin. Well, those are some tough introductions to follow, but I will do my best. I am currently the COO of Grand Slam Social, which is a boutique social media and digital marketing agency that got its start in the thoroughbred industry. We actually are named Grand Slam Social because we all met, myself, Shona Rosenblum, and Molly McGill, all met at the 2015 Breeders' Cup at Keeneland, which of course is where American Pharaoh won what we have dubbed the Grand Slam of horse racing, meeting the Triple Crown and then the Breeders' Cup Classic. So at the time I was working for Windstar Farm as their marketing coordinator with Elliot Walden and Darren Fox and Kyle Wilson, Sean Toole, a bunch of great people who took me on as a a total newbie in the industry and said, um, here, we have faith in you. We think that you can do this. And fortunately, my goal in life had always been to combine my love of horses. I have been in love with horses since before I can even remember all of my school projects growing up were on horses. I did 4-H um, in the Gulf Coast, Texas area. And my goal had always been to combine my love of horses and marketing and communications. So when I found this opportunity through some through um, Carrie Cawthon was actually the very first person at Four Star Sales who gave me a job in the thoroughbred industry. One day um, we were neighbors in Lexington and he actually said, can you come work a day at the FaceSig October sale for me? All you have to do is pass out updates. And I was like, um, okay. <laughs> so I did that. And then Carrie ended up um, helping me get the job at Windstar. And there were so many great people were involved. I certainly never thought that I would be co-hosting a podcast with other dynamic and such respected young people within the thoroughbred industry. But I, um, kind of similar to Elise, I grew up just in love with horses and, but not really knowing anything about racing. We do have some racetracks uh, near the Houston area, of course, Sam Houston, but I, I never went to it growing up. Um, it was horses at all. Like we're not a family thing. Um, I, I begrudgingly drug my parents into horses when I just would not stop talking about them. And <laughs> it, like I said, everything 
my entire life to this point has really just been focused on this goal of being able to talk about horses and promote uh, promote horse welfare within all sports. I continue to ride. I'm an amateur hunter jumper. I recently adopted a um, a three year old off the track thoroughbred from New Vocations, and I'm just passionate about uh, horses and getting more people involved and bringing horses to more people, um, whether whether that's racing or sport horses or 4-H or Pony Club, I support all of it. It's just something I'm really passionate about. And I think that um, education is something that is so important because I think so many people getting into horses can be such a daunting sport. And even for people in horses, it's you, it's, you have to be resilient as well. And sometimes when you get in the day-to-day, uh, you can forget why you originally came to why you love horses and why you love being a part of the horse sports world. But it's, you know, that, that common thread is there. So really excited to be on this podcast and hopefully bring some, uh, some new enthusiasts along for the ride. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm, uh, I'm excited. And Anise is excited. I heard a woo there (laughs) kind of pumped myself. And uh, just a little bit about me, for those who don't know, I am Joe Mason, and I am a native New Yorker. I uh, grew up going to Saratoga. I've been going to Saratoga for years. This is my first time in 10 years I've missed going to Saratoga, which is kind of kind of tough uh, for me, uh, especially yes, being a New Yorker and, yeah. and, and all of us. And uh, Summer Bird got me involved in 09. Uh, it's it's funny. I, I, I always say Summer Bird's my favorite horse. And when you look at the horses that won the other two triple crown races, people ask me why you have Rachel Alexander won the Preakness and mine that bird 50 to one in the, in the Derby. And it was just the first race that I really paid attention to. And I liked the name and here came Kent DeSormo down the lane. He beats Dunkirk <laughs> and mine that bird. And it was great. And <laughs> it was just uh, an amazing experience. And through my passion of the sport, I've worked for Naira and a few other entities, and I'm pursuing a career in broadcasting at SUNY Adirondack, and I'll be graduating with an associate's degree in the spring. Kind of pumped. Awesome. Hey, things great things ahead, you know, moving yeah. on from 20 to 2021. Let's get to it. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, I, I feel like, sorry, in my excitement to introduce Amplify, I sort of left out everything about my own background. But I thought one thing that's really cool to highlight is that all three of us are from such different areas. You know, Caitlin, you're from Texas. Joe, you're from New York. And um, I'm actually from the area near Fargo, North Dakota. And I think that all of our experiences have a lot of crossover and that, you know, Caitlin, I was also very involved in 4-H as a young person. And uh, I was pretty much my life for probably, I don't know, 15 to 18 years, probably longer. And, you know, I got started, I was very fortunate to work at a tiny little racetrack near, well, it's actually in Fargo. It's called the North Dakota Horse Park. And then just worked my way up through 
internships of different sorts. And, you know, just as Caitlin mentioned with uh, exposure to the, the sport horse world as well, you know, there's a lot of crossover between different breeds. And at one point I actually became interested in quarter horse racing and um, interned with the American Quarter Horse Association. So that's really where we want to emphasize that this podcast and Amplify, even though we're more focused on thoroughbred racing, it's for people interested in all breeds because there mm-hmm. is a lot of crossover. And then I went Absolutely. on to some internships with, um, you know, I interned for the Saratoga Special. So another big Saratoga fan here. The Saratoga Special is a, a horse racing newspaper that's published just during the Saratoga racing season. And um, I didn't study anything equine in school. I went to North Dakota State for management communication and international studies. I moved to Kentucky and did a few internships there, including with Basic Tipton, which is a thoroughbred sales company, Keeneland, which is another thoroughbred sales company, and Racecourse in Lexington. Um, did some yearling sales prep, which I'm sure we'll get more into in a later episode at Mill Ridge. And recently completed the Godolphin Flying Start program, which is basically a two-year international thoroughbred industry management uh, program. And then I'll be starting a new job on January 4th with the Kentucky Equine Education Project as their new equine education coordinator. So big education fan over here. All right. I we know. Love it. Anise, I, it's, it's funny. I mean, we met probably five year six years ago i'm not sure but yeah uh, our paths to lexington and even once we got to lexington were pretty similar even i was a a couple years ahead of you um and but i remember i believe i've seen you were talking about 4-h and i believe i've seen photos of you competing in showmanship at halter that is so funny and that was my absolute favorite because (laughs) i had um, I did not have a horse that was like fit for Western pleasure. He, he was actually, I did mostly barrel racing with him, but we started doing showmanship. And to this day, I've, I've even started teaching uh, Charles, my, my off the track horse. I've, he knows how to set up and back up and pivot. <laughs> so Those are some skills. Those are yes. some serious skills when you can teach a horse to have that level of patience and ground manners. And it's very transferable to different disciplines and any horse should be able to learn it. Yes, absolutely. So I think that just goes back to how inclusive we want um, this podcast to be because all of our journeys are so similar yet so different in in the path that we've taken and the people that we've met and the and who have guided us to where we are now that we want to be able to do that for people as well whether they're like you said in quarter horse racing right now or they're in 4-h or maybe <laughs> they're um you know this would have been me i would have been a eight-year-old girl sitting at home horseless at the time i didn't get my first horse until I was about 11 or 12. And it was after many years of uh, proving to my parents I had the dedication to do it um, by working like 12 hours a day on the weekends at a <laughs> local barn with a bunch of ponies. <laughs> and But I, as an eight-year-old child, I would have been home listening to this podcast, just, you know, dreaming of the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. So cool. And, 
I mean, that's that's really it. And before we dive into our into our, uh, our news bites and headlines and stuff, I have to make note, I just got an alert on my laptop. Tis the law has been retired to Ashford Stud. So that's, uh, that's quite... Wow. Uh, yeah, it's quite the shock. Uh, I was kind of expecting a, a four-year-old campaign, maybe hitting the Whitney and some other stakes, but he's retired. How do you guys feel just hearing this? Well, I, actually, and right as you say that, I saw the notification pop up on my phone. So for our listeners, um, Tis the Law won the Belmont Stakes in 2020 and also the Travers in Saratoga, which is nicknamed the Midsummer Derby. So a lot of horses that go through the Triple Crown, which we'll talk about later today, will then target the Travers slash aka Midsummer Derby. And then he um, targeted the Kentucky Derby ran second in the Kentucky Derby to Authentic. The 2020 Triple Crown season was a bit mixed up due to the pandemic, but I think we were all really looking forward to seeing him go on as a four-year-old. I know I certainly was. Yeah, and uh, Caitlin, what uh, what are your initial thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. It's a major loss, I think, especially for the first six months. I mean, I was really looking forward to the Pegasus and rooting rooting for tis the law to make a comeback um constitution you know having gotten my start at windstar farm i have a bit of an affinity for stallions at windstar and constitution actually um what was racing and retired to windstar during my tenure there and he's just turned out to be such an amazing sire and he's also stamped his his progeny as evidenced by tis the law and his all the white on his face constitution is also a very you know flashy horse so i was i was really rooting for him i thought he had some amazing runs his travers of course um was incredibly impressive and i was really looking forward to seeing him come back in the pegasus which is now the the biggest race that we have kind of like in the first part of the year for older horses so it's it's disappointing for sure, and I I feel for Sacatoga Stables. Of course, they owned Funny Side back in um, back in the early two thousands, and he nearly won the Triple Crown. You know they've they've been so close, and they have such a passion for it. It's it's disappointing, um, I'm sure for everybody, but I think Constitution is is a rising sire, and he's going to have. Um, sons now that go to stud and he's going to Ashford stud, uh, which is, you know, doesn't get much better than that as far as the United States or in the world, really. So he's, he's going to a good place. Yeah, no doubt. I was just going to add one of the things that, you know, our listeners I'm sure we'll hear a lot about is you'll hear us rattling off different stud farms or, you know, so, in the thoroughbred industry, there are breeding farms and some are more like, you know, thoroughbred nurseries almost where they have mares or mommy horses basically and foals and others are stud farms where they'll stand stallions. And so Constitution is one of those stallions. He's the the sire of Tis the Law standing at Windstar. Ashford is another stud farm that has 
um, American Pharaoh and Justify, our two most recent Triple Crown winners. So those are a really good way of actually researching and learning about the sport. As you hear us rattle off some of these names, give them a quick Google and and look through their stallion rosters because you can learn a lot even about racing history just by looking at those and it will help you follow the sport a little bit closer. Absolutely. And so many of these stud farms and training farms and breeding farms, um, and then some who do all three, they have such great websites that have so much information on them that you can go and just on the website, you can read about the stallion and watch their races. So you can see Constitution back when he was on the track. And it's, it's fascinating. Um, It's, for me coming into it, it's been fascinating to see how far back it goes because I was not following racing in 1990 or in the early 1990s, but now I'll hear these names and I'll be like, wait, this horse is related to this horse. This horse won the Breeders' Cup Classic and then sired all these other horses. And it's it's really neat to see how interwoven um, everything is and how these great horses on the track can go on to have such a, such a lasting um, impact on, on the sport. Yeah. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, tis the law be sorely missed on the racetrack, but what an amazing career. I mean, New York bred, he wins the Belmont, wins the Travers, Florida Derby, awesome campaign. But again, you know, it's going to be a a tough loss for us, uh, us racing fans. But when it comes to our discussion topics, the first thing I'd like to discuss is the jockey club and their rule as horses turn one year older at the beginning of the year, actually January 1st. Caitlin, you have a, a little bit more on that uh, topic. Yes. So this always interests people and it's always, well, it it's questioning. People question it a lot. <laughs> and the easy answer that I was given um, most of the time when I questioned it was, well, it's just easier for paperwork and registration and to keep track of, et cetera. Well, in, in doing some research, I actually found that this goes back to like the 18th and 19th centuries in England when um, the why this rule came about that horses, all horses. So the rule we're talking about to restate it is that all horses registered with the jockey club turn a year older on January 1st. So if you have a two-year-old race, a three-year-old race, four-year-old race, you may have horses born in January racing against horses that are born in May, but technically they are all the same age, even though there may be a four or five, maybe six month age gap, um, which can have a big impact on a horse's maturity and running ability. But back in the rule was a, a formally adopted by the original jockey club in England And that was back in the 19th century. And it was because horses were running. uh, Most horses didn't run until they were four years old. And sometimes they ran with up to like 200 pounds uh, carrying weight. So horses were, they were doing a lot more and they were running like four miles. They were doing a lot more, but they were doing it at a more advanced age, you know, four years old. That's, now we have two-year-old races. You would never put that much rate, weight on a two-year-old or ask a horse to run that far. 
but people were becoming so eager. They didn't want to wait four years to get their horses to their races. They wanted to show them off earlier. So they adopted this rule um, that creates uniformity and consistency, allowing the same crop of horses to be judged against each other at the races. Uh, and so, and that was January 1st. It used to be May 1st. Well, that used to be the date used in the U.S., but January 1st allows for, I mean, it's the start of a new year. Again, it's a bit more the way that the thoroughbred industry in the United States now um, has come about is that a lot of horses are born earlier in the year. Typically, you don't see a lot of April or May or June foals running um, at the same level as like a horse born in January or February. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, but it, it goes, a lot of it has to do with the, the welfare, the, ho- the horses wanting to be run at a time when is convenient and profitable for the owners, but also in the interest of the welfare of the horses. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, thanks for the research there, Kate. And, uh, You're welcome. And, and for uh, for an example for our listeners, so from our good friend Lady in the Track, if a filly was born on June 1st, 2018 and wanted to compete in the 2021 Kentucky Oaks, a race on the first Friday of May for three-year-old fillies, she would be able to, com- to, to compete because she is considered a three-year-old filly despite her June birthday. Correct. And uh, another side note, all two-year-old thoroughbreds, did you guys know this? All two-year-old thoroughbreds registered with the Jockey Club must be named by February 1st in their second year of life. Did you guys know that? Yes. I actually did not. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Well, I so I was always, um, it was very interesting to me at Windstar and working at the sales that the horses went through unnamed. They would go through the yearling sales unnamed and it's kind of like, how do people know who these horses are? And of course there's a system. It's the, the year they were foaled and the mayor's name is how they're identified for the first couple years of their life. But yeah, I think if you went much longer than that, it would start to get a little confusing if you had, uh, you know, 2015, checkered running on the track <laughs> yeah I think this could almost be you know a topic for a whole other episode when you dive into naming and some of the intricacies behind naming and you know like some of the pride involved as an owner to be able to name your horse but just going back to the the ages and the turning to a new year um, or turning another year older in the new year, that is just so, so interesting how far that dates back. And I think that I'm, I thought that it had more to do, and I mean, it has a lot to do with race conditions as well, where, you know, for a lot of our listeners, as you start to follow racing, you'll start to see that there are conditions of races where they specify certain ages of horses, like a race that's restricted to two-year-olds or restricted to three-year-olds only, or maybe four-year-olds and up. And so a lot of that does factor into those race conditions, but then to hear some of that history of it and how it used to be May and now it's January, very, very cool. Well done. Yeah. I mean, no doubt about that. And 
as you guys know, and as some of our listeners know, if you don't know, the road to Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby is in full swing. This coming weekend, we have three preps in the Jerome Mucho Macho Man and the Sham from Santa Anita Park. Anise, what did you find out about the road to the Kentucky Derby and the point system? Okay, so this is a really great place to start, especially kicking off this podcast in January. We are really education focused, and if you're completely new to racing, we were kind of brainstorming and thinking, well, what is a really good spot to start everyone off at, or what are some things that we wish we would have known when we got started. And one of those things would have been, you know, an explanation of the road to the Kentucky Derby and the road to the Kentucky Oaks. So most of you have probably at least heard of the Kentucky Derby. And if you haven't, that's cool too. We welcome everyone, as we said. Um, But it's pretty safe to say that that's the most well-known or most prominently recognized race in the United States. And... Uh, As we were just talking about, race conditions, it's a race that's restricted to three-year-olds. It's open to both three-year-old colts and fillies, but generally the fillies will target what's essentially the Kentucky Derby for fillies called the Kentucky Oaks. And so you generally don't see many fillies running in the Kentucky Derby. It's pretty rare. And the Kentucky Derby is the first in a prestigious three race series called the Triple Crown, which runs from the beginning of May through the beginning of June. And so the Kentucky Derby kicks it off on the first Saturday in May at Churchill Downs race course in Louisville, Kentucky. And then they head to the Preakness Stakes at Pimlico Racecourse in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, just two weeks later. And then three weeks after that is the Belmont Stakes at Belmont Racecourse near Long Island in New York. So three different races spaced fairly close together, three different racetracks. They're all at different distances. The Derby itself is a mile and a quarter. And its nickname is the Run for the Roses because the winning horse gets a garland of roses. But uh, because the Derby is so famous, almost everyone wants their horse to run in the Derby. It's such a huge honor. It's a dream for many people to run in the Kentucky Derby. But you only have one shot with a horse because, as I said, it's for three-year-olds. So how do three-year-old Colts and Phillies Uh, qualify for the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks. Well, that is the aforementioned road to the Kentucky Derby and road to the Kentucky Oaks. And these are ways for them to accumulate points through a series of races. So this system actually started in 2012 and um, the Kentucky Derby moved away from horses qualifying just based on money earned in particular stakes races. And instead, they laid out this long series of races that had points associated with the top four finishers per, per each race. So as Joe already outlined, we have some some races on the road to the Kentucky Derby coming up, um, the Jerome, the Sham, um, but this actually started in September of 2020. So the road to the Derby and the road to the Oaks starts in 2020 and then builds up to just a few weeks before the Kentucky Derby. And certain races were, will actually allocate more points than others. So 
Well, we start with the Kentucky Derby prep season, which will bring us through February, and the winning horses in each of those prep season races will get 10 points, the second place horses will have 4 points, 2 points to the third place horses, and generally 1 point to the horses who run 4th. And so that will bring us up to February. And then midway through February, we'll start to see the Kentucky Derby Championship Series. And then that's when we start to get into races that allocate 50 points to the winners or 100 points to the winners. So that's where you really start to see some of these three-year-olds hitting their stride and hustling hard to, to get a post position in the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, and there's 47 races between September and April strictly for these three-year-olds to qualify for the Kentucky Derby. So more than enough time and more than enough opportunities to get involved. And as as you guys alluded to, thousands of thoroughbreds are fold each year. And you kind of have to play your cards right to get to the first Saturday in May in the gate for the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, that's very right. And just to underline, you know, really what a prominent race this is. There's also a European road to the Kentucky Derby and the Japan road to the Kentucky Derby. So there are points races in other countries and then generally one horse from the European road to the Derby and one horse on the Japan road to the Derby will earn a position in the starting gate. So, you know, it's primarily a you know U.S. race, but we do get a little bit of international representation as well, which is really exciting. Right. I mean, there was uh, Master Fencer a couple of years back who came from Japan and ran some pretty nice races. Didn't win, didn't get in the money, but he ran some nice closing efforts. Yeah, that's right. And then, of course, who could forget Thun- Thunder Snow's infamous run yeah. <laughs> in the Derby? <laughs> yeah. Had a bit of a, one of the starting gates, Bucking was not a fan. Coming of over from Europe, yes. And the Kentucky Derby itself actually has roots Um over in Europe, it's based off of the Epsom Derby, which was, or which continues to be run since 1780. And it's, uh, there are a couple of other popular horse races over there, like, um, you know, the Grand Prix de Paris, Epsom Derby, as I've mentioned. And so people visiting over there thought that there needed to be something like this in the United States. And so the Kentucky Derby was brought about and run for the first time in 1875. So as I, as I said, I've, I've always been a history, (laughs) history fan. And I just, I think it's um, so interesting and it really, it draws me to the, to how deep the roots of horse racing go yeah, it's yeah. really grounded not only in American culture, but, you know, global culture, like the culture of horse racing going way, way back. So that's so cool to see how interconnected it is and how global of an industry it really is. And as we've alluded to the uh, the points and how each race has a certain number of points for the winner, first, second, third, fourth. Uh, big ticket races you're going to look for, viewers and listeners, is the Tampa Bay Derby and Florida Derby from the great state of Florida, Louisiana Derby and Arkansas Derby from the Midwest, the Santa Anita Derby from California, the Wood Memorial from New York, and the Bluegrass and the Lexington from Kentucky. Now, some misconceptions from the road to the Kentucky Derby. A lot of 
novices to the sport wonder where do they go next? Is it just the Kentucky Derby? No, there's an entire there's an entire season uh, after the Kentucky Derby. So you have the Preakness, the Belmont, you have the Travers, you have the Haskell, you have a multitude of Breeders' Cup races. So I thought that was important to to touch on because a lot of people that are just getting involved don't necessarily know where the horses go after the Derby. Right. So I think something every year, the Kentucky Derby, well, perhaps with the exception of 2020, when the Derby was run in September and most people not really entrenched in the end within the industry were aware that it was running in September, the, the months leading up to it, you know, there's springtime, it's snows um, melting, the grass is becoming green, especially if you're up north, and there's all this excitement uh, leading up to the Triple Crown, which is such a huge sporting event on TV, and people have parties all over the country for the Derby and the subsequent races. And, and then after that, for a lot of people, as I mentioned, who aren't entrenched, they think that that's where the road ends. And it's really not the road for American racing and even now for international racing goes all the way through to late October or early November to the Breeders' Cup, which is 14 day or I'm sorry, 14 races over two days of world championship races run at all different conditions. As Anise explained earlier, there are different conditions based on ages, distances, dirt, turf, um, etc., and culminates with the Breeders' Cup Classic. So when you go to the Kentucky Derby, and especially if you win, you're thinking now the next step is Haskell, possibly Travers, which is considered the Midsummer Derby in Saratoga, and then you're thinking Breeders' Cup Classic. Yeah, those are the the big three, especially for three-year-olds, but a three-year-old Colts, that is. Uh, but there's also there's also a road for the Oaks, as Anise right. mentioned earlier. Um, I mean, you have a, a, a wide variety of options. I mean, you have the Coaching Club American Oaks in Alabama from Saratoga, and a, a, just a ton, just everywhere. I mean, you have – there's so many different races all over the country. You have some out west, and, I mean, the road j- doesn't just stop after the Derby and Oaks. I mean, it just keeps going and going. I was going to add one thing about, um, you know, for people who are interested in following the road to the Kentucky Derby, you can go to KentuckyDerby.com and you can go to horses and you'll always see the top leaderboards and be able to check what some of those upcoming races are on the road to the Derby or the road to the Oaks. I feel like the Oaks gets overshadowed a little bit sometimes, which it really shouldn't because it's always, you know, sometimes I find the Phillies more exciting to watch than the Colts. But just right, little... we'll just look at Swiss Skydiver's Preakness run this past yes, year. Yes, exactly. So we had a Philly win the Preakness Stakes in 2020. Swiss Skydiver, absolutely incredible. She actually beat Authentic yeah. by a nose who went on to the win the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby winner and then the Breeders' Cup Classic. Yes, exactly. So really, really exciting. But for those of you who want to learn a little bit more, just a little insider scoop, a great way that I have found um, to locate learning tools is to research media guides or the media pages for different racetracks or different races specifically. 
So if you guys go to KentuckyDerby.com slash media, it's going to take you to the Derby Online Media Center. And if you click Road to the Derby or Road to the Oaks, it brings up this really great spreadsheet with the dates, the races, the tracks, the distances, the different points, the horses uh, who have won these races so far. And it's always updated. So I find that that's a much quicker and more efficient way to get some of that information. And then additionally, if you click on barn notes, especially in the weeks and days leading up to the Kentucky Derby, they have a a special team that's following a lot of these horses and doing interviews in the mornings and sending out updates about their progress in these barn notes. And of course, there's a media guide, some statistics. And so to me, it's just a really quick and easy one-stop shop, I guess you can say, to get a lot of information that you might have to dig around for otherwise. So there's my insider tip of the day. And mine to to add to that, and he's sorry, Joe, to cut you off, but I I have to talk about my friends at uh, America's Best Racing because they do such a fantastic job of bringing the sport to people on on social media and through their website at americasbestracing.net. And they really preview the races in a way to me, honestly, I'm not so much of a handicapper. I was an English major for a reason. Numbers are not my favorite thing. Um, As I've said before, I'm a bit more of a historian and I think America's best racing brings It does articles and previews of races in a way that is not incredibly daunting for newcomers. So I would also recommend giving them a follow on social and, again, checking out their website, americasbestracing.net. I definitely second that. And thanks for the segue, Caitlin, because I was just going to touch on America's Best Racing. Do yourself a favor, check out their website. As Caitlin said, follow their social and... uh, There's one particular article I found interesting for our discussion today. Uh, How Horses Qualify for the Kentucky Derby, a beginner's guide for all the stuff we didn't cover, Penelope Miller does on America's Best Racing's website. So definitely give that a look. Very cool. They also do, um, they have basically a race watch list that you can see every week they have updates on different stakes races but then they also have um, a list of different channels where you can tune into some of these big races because again that's another thing that I found a bit confusing when I got started was you know well where do I watch racing what are the different channels what do I need to sign up for but you know with that I, I must add that um, Amplify is not you know we're not endorsing per se any of these resources, I guess, like the best way of saying this is we want to give you guys advice to be able to learn and consume some of this information. Um, And that's not to say there aren't tons of other resources out there that do an amazing job because they certainly do, but we're just giving you guys some, you know, a brief overview of tips and advice for, you know, where to find some of the things that we've covered today. As I mentioned, the Jerome Mucho Macho Man and Sham are coming up this weekend. Contenders you might want to look for are Eagle Orb, who won the notebook at Aqueduct with uh, Manny Franco aboard. Hold the Salsa, New York bred first in the New York Stallion Series, Great White Way. 
for Romero Mirage and Rich Ugovich and Swill for Kendrick Carmouche and Brad Cox. And of course, the Mucho Macho Man, two horses for Dale Romans and two horses for Todd Pletcher sitting on go, who finished sixth in the Kentucky Jockey Club Stakes, also won the Iroquois earlier in the year. And of course, Mutasa Beck returning to the dirt after a 10th place finish in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. And lastly, the Sham, not drawn just yet, but it's coming just around the corner. A few maiden breakers or horses that just won their first race. And that contingent is led by Baffert trained Life is Good. Uncle Boogie will also be in this race, who ran second in the Bob Hope Stakes to Red Flag in his last start. There's a lot going on. Big performances from Santa Anita this past weekend. The Horse Racing Integrity Act has been passed. And Preps and the Pegasus are just around the corner. And just a quick reminder to our listeners. Episode 2 will air the week of January 14th and 15th. The theme, the history of the Pegasus World Cup, and the Eclipse Awards. For Caitlin Christofferson and Anise Montplaisir, I'm Joe Mason. Thank you for listening to the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast.